Hi, welcome to the Shallow Dive on Derech Eretz Zuta, the Little Book of Etiquette, a collection of wisdom from our sages about how to relate to life. I hope you enjoy. Derech Eretz Zuta, Perk Shmini, Reisa Aleph. Havirach Kekoneh. Person should be soft like a reed. Shaharuach Nosherespo that the wind blows and bends it, in any direction that the wind is blowing, wherever it wishes. So a person should have this humility, a certain suppleness of character to absorb and, and move with the impact of what they are relating to. Somebody has something to say, somebody's coming from a certain perspective, try and understand and move with them. Doesn't mean to become unmoored, but just as the reed bends with the wind, that is the derecheretz. That's what a person should do. She'en hatermes kayemes. This is important because the Torah is only fulfilled. Right? Enlightenment is not meant to be held under lock and key. It's, it's meant to be fulfilled and brought to life. If you want to get technical, miskayemes. In somebody or through somebody whose spirit is, is humble or low upon him, that he's able to view another perspective. He's not stuck in a rigid sense. Why is the Torah compared to water? This is to teach you Ma darko shalmayim, einan holchin lamokam gavoa. Just as, where does water flow? It always goes to the lowest point. That's how water flows. Kach ein hatar miskayemes el b'misharucho numuchalov. So too, where is the Torah fulfilled? In in what way is it brought to life? It's actualized. Through somebody that his spirit is low upon him, and that's where the terror goes. That's where the terror will be fulfilled. So that's that's the whole brisa. There's a, a fascinating Gemara in Tainus, Dafchof, the Binin Yoshua quotes. The brisa is working on this idea. Let's take a look. Tainus? Where's Tainus? A story. Tarabana. Our sage is taught. Le'olam yehe adam Rach kekane. 
A person should strive to be soft, like a reed, pliant, bending, like a reed. And a person should avoid being hard and rigid, unbending, like the Erez, is a, a cedar, which doesn't budge. It, it feels the wind and is not moved. Maisa Shabo Rabbi Elazar, or Rabbi Shimon, Gemara brings a story. Rabbi Elazar Rabbi Shimon, Megdal Gadur, Mebeis Rabbi, he came back from learning Torah. He was riding on his donkey. And he was leisurely going by the bank of the river. And he was rejoicing, a great rejoicing. And he became somewhat haughty because he did learn a lot of Torah. So he's coming back from learning. He's feeling very good about himself, very happy with his accomplishments. And it's getting to his head. And why is it significant that he was riding on a donkey and that he was going by the edge of the river and these, these are facts, but it doesn't say that he was wearing Nikes or wasn't wearing Nikes, right? Obviously, this is, these are important facts. So I, I would suggest that riding on a donkey represents a, a, a mastery over the physical. To, to be rochev, to be the rider, is to be in control. Chamor symbolizes, a donkey symbolizes Chumrius, physicality. So he was rejoicing, he was in this position of mastery. And he was going along the bank of the river. The, the river is, is often symbolic of, of Torah. At the, the, the waters, as we saw in, in our b'risa, that the Torah is nimshala lamayim. So he is busy uh, basking in the, the glory of his experience. He feels he's, he's an altered person by the Torah that he's learned. But unfortunately, this caused a problem. And he, he became haughty because of it. So here's where the story takes a turn for the worse. At this point, somebody came that was particularly ugly. This person said to Rabbi Lozer, the son of Rabbi Shimon, Peace be upon you, my master. Rabbi Lozer, Rabbi Shimon, 
is busy, is reveling in, in his accomplishments, and he doesn't bother to respond. Amarlo, reka kama machur ata. Kama machur oso ish. He says, empty one. How ugly is that man? Referring to the one who he's uh, addressing, not even addressing him directly. How ugly is that man? Shema kol ircha. Now he is uh, addressing him directly. First empty one, now he says, Perhaps all the people of your city are as ugly as you. So, wow, this is um, pretty shocking to understand what's going on. But this man responds and he says, Amarlo, any odea? I don't know. I don't know. But why don't you go and tell the one who created me? Take it up with, with the manufacturer. You don't like what happened? Go to God. Tell him, how ugly is this vessel that you have created? Your complaint is not against me. Your complaint is against the creator. Okay, at this point, Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon realized that he has sinned. He shouldn't have said this. And he's, things, things have gone from bad to worse. He gets off the donkey. Okay, he realizes that this, this posture uh, was uh, leading in part, to his gavo, to his haughtiness. He comes down off his high horse, or donkey in this case. He prostrated himself before this ugly man. I have uh, spoken ill against you. Please forgive me. He says, no, I'm not forgiving you. Till you go to the, the one who created me, and declare to the Creator, how ugly is this vessel that you have made? And this was going on as they were approaching a city. The people of the city came to greet Rabbi Lozer, Rabbi Shimon. Murray, Murray, they're greeting him with, with honor. And the one who's before Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon is this particularly ugly individual. Who are you calling? Rabbi, Rabbi, my master, my master. To the one who's behind you. He said to them, the, the ugly one, if he is a master, May there not be many like him in Israel. They, they said to him, what's the problem? Why are you saying that? You know what he did to me? Or said to me, to think yourselves. The people of the city said, nonetheless, you should forgive him. 
because he is a great scholar. He, he actually does have a lot of Torah. He says, on your account, I will forgive him. For you, people of the city, I will forgive him. I guess by now he figured out that the people, all, all the people in the city weren't as ugly as him. This, that's not his city. It's the people of, of the city of Herbalaz Rabbi Shimon. And this is quite a cryptic line. He says, I'm forgiving him on condition, as long as he doesn't do this all the time. All the time? <laughs> all the time? Never. Yeah, pretty, pretty wild. Okay. Miyad nichnas, blazer ben Shimon, right away, came, entered in, Rebbe Lazar, the son of Rebbe Shimon, he entered into the base Medrash Vidarash. He he made a derivation. He had a teaching. A person should always be soft, like a reed. And don't be hard as as a unbending cedar tree. On account of its suppleness. The reed merited that the, it can be used as an implement to write. Holy writ. You can take a reed, its pliance is, is, is a, an asset, and it can be the instrument with which to transmit the, the teaching of God. And you can write a sefer with it. You can write tefillin with it to fulfill commands, mezuzah with it. So, so you see, this uh, this is something to aspire towards, to be rach kikane. So add kind of gemara. That, that uh, sorry, what was that? I just said that I once said something that um, that uh, it, it could also be that that um, Rabbi Lazar, when he was saying that Akama Machar, you know how ugly is this person, that he didn't only mean necessarily physically. You might have seen something about, you know, the person that it was, was a Balavera or something. Um, and, 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 the, and, um, and, and then even so, I'm just, I'm just seeing the way that it ties into all this, but especially you're saying that he was riding, he was riding on his, he was riding on his donkey, he was riding on his, meaning he was, he was Kavish as Taiva. Right. So like a Balad was in this very high place, so to him he was hypersensitive to somebody who wasn't. So to him he was like he couldn't stand somebody who who was in this low place of of, of a virus. He's saying Kama Machor. Right, he wasn't uh, he wasn't the, being uh, right, empathetic right. towards towards the other right. person's and that's place. Why, and that's why you have this whole thing about being Rach Kukana, because you know, you and I are thinking like one second, what's the big deal? How, why can't you just control yourself from not saying that somebody is ugly? Like, why would we ever even want to do that, right? But, but, but if, you, if you look at it in, in, in this way, that, that um, he, 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 meant, he, he was on this very exalted level and he was looking at this person with, with sin and you, you, couldn't, you couldn't stand it, then, you know, then it also makes sense why, why he was saying the person should be Rach Kakana because when, you, when a person reaches... Sometimes the person reaches very high levels in holiness. Like Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar, you know, when the, the first time they left the cave, and then, you know, every place they looked at it would burn up because they would they, they would look and say, why are these people osik and inani right? Right. So they were they were they were very they, were, they had like this fire 
thing in them, and then they had to learn to be to be to be softer in a sense, to be rachakana, you know, towards towards judging other people, not 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 enough in a in a physical form, in a in a, in a ruchniistic way. Saying that, 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 to me, this this story makes more more sense to me when you look at it in that way. I don't know, if, you know, I'm just saying myself. Yeah. Yeah, so so I don't disagree with you. I think that there's a lot of a lot of MS in, in that Mahalach. I just first wanted to look at how the more classic Mefarshim addressed this Gemara. And first, I wanted to look at the Marsha. Quite a surprising Marsha. The you ever wonder uh, BLM Menatara Minayin. Black Lives Matter. Where do you find it in the Torah? So, take a look at the Marsha. The Marsha says, Amar Reka Kama Mukhur. When Rabbi Lazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon, he, he speaks to this person who's exceedingly ugly. So, the Marsha explains, Ma Shekaru Reka? Why did he call him empty? The Marsha says as a possibility, he throws this out as a possibility. I personally find it a shocking possibility, but that's what the Marsha says, running Marsha right now. Maybe, says the Marsha, the way this person appeared to him was as a, a non-Jew from the sons of Kush, a Kushi, and he was exceedingly ugly and exceedingly black. Now, this is quite, quite surprising that this should be the, uh, the circumstance that Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon is uh, engaging in what would be today considered a, uh, I guess, what, a, like a, a racial slur. I don't, I don't know what's pushing the Marsha to say this. But he does say, Efshar. Efshar, Shahai Nidmelo. Perhaps he appeared to him. Kenachrim ibn Ekush. Lefishai Mechur v'shachar b'yosef. So he continues with this theme. He says, okay, what's the continuation of the Gemara? Shema kol b'nei ercha michu arin. Maybe all the people of your city are so ugly. Dehainam eres kush. He means from the land of Cush, from Ethiopia. And the, the victim over here says, I don't know. What does he mean by saying, I don't know? I don't know what to respond to you. That I, I, I don't know to, how to respond to you to, to affirm what you're saying. Because if you look in the Torah, the Torah avoids even saying an impure animal. The Torah does not want to disparage any creature. All of God's creatures have some value. So, you're asking me, are all the people of my city so ugly? I don't know how to answer you in, in a way that's not disparaging to God's creation. If you look at the Torah, the Torah says even an impure animal has a value. <clears throat> it's part of the creation. And there's goodness there. 
But you, who say, I'm so ugly, you are impugning a lack or, or a fault into the creation. And by extension, implying that the creator is doing something bad. He says, he continues, go to the, the craftsman that fashioned me. Go to God. Right? Go send it back to the factory. Factory uh, defect, return to sender. Take it up with God. So on that he says, I, I apologize. I confess that it's not, I didn't speak nicely. Lo yofa dibardi. And he's saying, if, if you forgive me, God will forgive me. It, I take it back. I was wrong. You're right. Black lives matter. Right? You're right. It was a terrible thing to say. I was wrong. And he says, this is, it's a rejection of the goodness of God's creation to say on any creature, let alone a human being, that, that they are empty or ugly. So, so he's bothered by the same issue we mentioned. He forgives him on condition. He says, as long as you don't do this all the time. He should have said, as long as you never do it again. <laughs> Why is he saying as long as you don't regularly commit this offense? It sounds almost as though he's saying, just once in a while. Don't do this all the time. <laughs> we could suggest that this is what he means to say. Says, you, you need to be careful not to bring yourself into this state. That ruach, you're, you're, you're in a state of, of haughtiness. It's your haughtiness that led you to this position where you are looking down on God's creation. So you need to avoid that state. That's what he's saying. He's saying that the, the state of mind that you had entered is what led to this tragic incident that he acknowledged was wrong. And he, he shouldn't do things to bring him into that state. Be careful, avoid doing things that lead you to this state. He's not saying avoid learning Torah, obviously, but avoid doing things that will lead you to relate to the Torah in a manner that isolate you from the goodness of God's creation. That's not a good thing. Okay, so that's, that's the Masha's interpretation, which, again, I do find quite shocking that he's proposing... Uh, of course, Rabbi Lazar Shimon was wrong. It's clear from the Gemara that he was wrong, but the, the uh, degree of wrongness is quite shocking that he's impugning this effectively racist rant to Rabbi Lazar Shimon, which he then recants.
realizes that it was a, a terrible perspective. Ben Yoda is bothered by some of the same problems, and he has a different interpretation. Ben Yoda says that in certain places, the Derech Eretz was that the Rebbe should address the Talmud, not the other way around. So the master should be the first one to open up the dialogue. And not the other way around. It would be considered an affront in that culture for the student to address the teacher first. So in that place where, where this person says, Shalom Alechi Rebbe, he, he opens up the discussion. So Rebbe Lazar Shimon, in his place of loftiness, is saying, this is not okay. You, you should not be opening the conversation. You should have me open the conversation. And therefore, everything tumbles downhill from there. But that, that's the way the Ben Yoda says it. Which, of course, is a much uh, less uh, shocking error on the part of Rebbe Lozer Shimon. Has that going for it. Uh, it also helps understand in, in a slightly different light where he's saying in the end as long as he forgives him as long as he's not doesn't do this typically he, he avoids speaking with such harshness regularly meaning maybe sometimes it would be appropriate just he'll, he'll learn that in a simple sense perhaps although it's, it is a little bit hard to read the Ben Yoda's interpretation if you look at the context of how it's brought in Avast Rabbi Nassim, you, you, you do have this same story brought in a series of a story with his father, Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai, having a story, and then leading into this story, slightly different details, but the context, as we'll see, doesn't, doesn't sound, uh, I would say, a, well, the implication sounds like there is some error on the part of the, uh, the reka, the one who is perceived and called out as being ugly and empty. So in, in that, I would say it's similar to Ben Yoda. What is the nature of it? It's, it's still a bit obscure. But let's take a look at what it says in Avis Rabbi Nason, Perak Mem Aleph. He went to visit the sick. Rashbi went to visit the sick. He found somebody that was bloated and bent over with, with uh, intestinal ailment. And he was saying curses, as it were, Tough, tough talk before God. Amalei Reka, he says to him, empty one. You should have beseeched God for mercy. Why are you speaking tough to God? Why are you doing this? Amalei, Kashbarchus, Alkanim, many, Vinichanolecha. 
So this guy was not very receptive to this rebuke. And he says, okay, I'll address God in, in, a, in a way of beseeching. May God remove this ailment from me and put it on you. You want me to pray to God? I've got a prayer for you. So, Omar, there's different girsos here. The Yavit says, Omar Rashbi, Yavah Asali, Hagarash Baruchu. Shinachti Debetera, Vayisim Asik Varmatalim. Rabbi Shimon accepted this interaction and said, It's my fault. I shouldn't have gone to visit him. I was in the middle of learning Torah. And then I went on a relative basis to Dvarim Betalim, to, to lesser, matters of lesser import. So I should not have stopped learning Torah. And by doing so, I brought this upon me, even though technically it's a mitzvah. It's, it's a good thing, visiting the sick. It, it says, the Ramam says, even a fulfillment of a biblical requirement, it's a specifically rabbinic requirement, but not for him. He shouldn't have done it. If he was in the middle of learning Torah, he should have let other people visit him and he should not have ceased from learning Torah. And therefore, he got clobbered. That's the first story. Then, immediately on the heels of that, Now we go to the sun. He came from Middle Eder, from the house of his master. Going by the, the riverbed. He saw a certain person that was exceedingly ugly. Amalei Reka. He says to him, empty one. Now, in this version of the story, you have the initial opening of this ugly person. He doesn't say, Shalom Alecha Rebbe. So the whole, the whole idea of Ben Yoda doesn't fit in this version. If that is the attack, then it, it would have needed to, to mention that. Uh, so, so that itself is, um, is a kasha. Ben Yoda's interpretation doesn't seem to fit well with the version in Avast Rabinasan. On the flip side, in the context of the previous story where his father says, with justification to a degree, you know, maybe it wasn't the right time to speak. Somebody's in pain. This whole story of Job and Eov, that he should have, uh, his friends uh, should have been more sensitive to Eov's, to Job's pain. So Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai does give him, does give rebuke, and he says, Reka. So now when the son gives rebuke, in the, the immediate following, this implication of Reka is, not just an attack that's uh, totally unjustified. Perhaps it was inappropriate, like Rabbi Shimon says, he, he shouldn't have stopped learning. He, he got into trouble and got this curse on himself because he stopped doing what he should have done, even though it's to do something else. That's, uh, the Nitziv says that the Yetzirah, the evil inclination for the, the Torah sage, is to stop engaging in Torah, and to go and do chesed, go and do acts of kindness. Kindness is such a great thing. So the evil inclination is go do kindness, go do good kindness. Don't, don't engage in the Torah study. For him, that's his Yetzirah. So that's what Rav Shimon did, and he got clobbered for that. But the, the critique of the person who was sick was a, was a real critique. 
It wasn't accepted, maybe it could have been given a different way, but it was a true critique. And the term reka is used by both Rabbi Shimon and his son, Rabbi Elazar Rabbi Shimon. It sounds like there is some critique here, and yet it doesn't seem to fit well with the Ben Yoyada that the critique is about his, uh, the fact that he was, was impetuous and, and opened up the conversation, because in this version there is no such thing. So what is the critique? It's missing. It doesn't say over here. It does not say over here. Yeah, I, th- I think that, that what Ellie was saying is, is pretty on target. I, I would suggest that perhaps what Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon saw in this person was an emptiness that, that was, uh, he was able to, to view that from Chachmas Partsufim. He was able to see what you'd say a certain wisdom of understanding a person by viewing their face, by, by looking at their face. And he saw from his face that he was devoid of Chachma. That's what he saw. And then he, he confronted him on it. He calls him Reka. You're empty. You're ugly. Meaning, you need to, to fill yourself with wisdom. The, the emptiness is the emptiness of, of the light of Chachma, of the wisdom that, that lights a person's, a person's face up. He saw with Chachma Sufim, the wisdom of, of understanding a person from viewing their face, he saw that this person was lacking. So, so he was giving it a strong critique that was to a degree, let's call it justified, Meaning that, 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 not that it was a wrong reading, per se. It's not that he misread. But this is not, this is not the way forward. This, this is, is giving the truth in a manner that it cannot be heard. It's not going to lead to improvement. The Torah will not be miskayemis. The Torah will not be fulfilled, brought to life through this interaction. It's only going to cause... Uh, animosity. He, he says, may there not be more people like him in, in, among the Jewish people. And he didn't say, no, I am not Reka. He didn't, he didn't say that it was wrong per se, but he was affronted and he felt that it was an attack that, that uh, should not have been delivered in that manner. The story with Rav Steinman, Baron Steinman, a lot of people used to go to visit him. And is a, a place, Nevet Zion, actually. They, they took their students to go visit him. And one of the people there, unfortunately, was engaged in some pretty serious criminal activities. And it was known that that was the case. Nobody said a word to Rosteinman, but Rosteinman, you know, said blessings to different people and, and, and he, he welcomed them. And by this person, he stopped and he said, I don't understand, but you're so young. How could you have committed so much sin? I don't understand. And the guy's face turned white. He was embarrassed. 
But Rav Steinman saw, and, and people acknowledged that were aware that this person had, had really excelled in wickedness, if you will. And Rav Steinman was able to see that. So, so in a similar vein, perhaps what Rabbi Shimon saw was that this person was empty and ugly as a result of that emptiness. And he was, in theory, trying to alert him to this dismal state. But he's doing so without any sense of, of moving towards him to feel what he feels, to be bending with the wind that he's in. He's, he's, he's not, he's just being uh, un, unyielding. He's just saying, this is the way it is. And that's, that's not a mahalath. That doesn't achieve, uh, achieve a, a fulfillment of the Torah. That leads just to a breaking. It's not, it's not going to be successful. Yeah, like, like it says in, in Kohelis, actually, Perkhes, Pasukalaf, Adam The wisdom of a man will, will light up his face. And he was empty from wisdom. Lachar, that's the chat. So, in, in terms of the, the version in Avastrubinasan, it continues. And I, I, along these lines, just to, to add a, a, a Tosefa's beer, when Rabbi Shimon is critiquing the man, and he says, could it be that all the people of your city are so empty, like you, perhaps he's saying that it's, he's astonished at the degree of emptiness. The, the nature of a person is to pursue wisdom, as the Ramam says in his commentary of the Mishnah in Chagiga. says that is the nature of every human being, to be a seeker of wisdom, each to their own degree, but we are an intensely inquisitive species that is a hallmark of humanity. And he's saying, this guy is, is just empty. But there's another facet to the human being. We are social beings. How could he not be influenced by his city? They should rub off on him. They're human beings. Could they possibly be as empty as him that he's not getting something from, from civilization where he's at? Rabbi Shimon is, is astonished at the emptiness he sees, the ugliness of this person. Like you said, I think, in a, in a spiritual sense, that he's, he's not pursuing Chachma to any degree. No, he's not, he's not taking any enlightenment and, there, and thereby he's not being beautified. And you do find a parallel when it comes to the ultimate forgiveness. Right? The guy forgives them. He forgives Rabbi Allah's Rabbi Shimon because the, the people of the city say... Forgive him. Meaning, he does agree that the, a person is not a total island. And he's saying, since the people of the city feel that you have added light to their lives, 
I will forgive you. You are not totally irredeemable as you have said I was. I see from the people of your city that, that you have value and I will forgive you. When, when the person said back uh, that you should take it up with my maker, did he understand that he was talking about his physical appearance? Well, it depends on it which be, interpretation. If you go with a marsha, the marsha is going on his physical appearance. This interpretation, meaning it, it would be his fault if he didn't learn anything. So then why does that have to do with Hashem? Right. Why would it have to do with Hashem? Good point. Meaning, he's saying, if, if you're saying that I don't appear even human, that I don't even appear to have the, the basic inquisitiveness towards Chachma, that you're astonished at that fact, so take it up with my Maker. My Maker made me. You know, different people have various degrees of of Bikush, of Chachma, pursuing Chachma. If, if you think I'm defective, you need to take it up with my Maker. Yeah, but who said he thought he was defective? He just said that he was empty. Well, and yes. And partially, or at least a lot, his fault. Even if it's partially his fault, but he's saying it's... it's it, the, the way it's being presented is as, a, as such a total loss that it's defective. Not just that you could have personally done better, but he's, he's saying, how could it be uh, that, that, you, that you don't have anything? Not you, not, not just being impacted from your surroundings to, to, to just have the, the social uh, trappings of Chachma. That people learn things by osmosis. You, you should have gained something. So that's not, that's, he's saying it's, it's even defective, not just that you haven't uh, excelled. It sounds defective. The, the, the Tosa says that this actually, this person was, was not a regular guy. Tosa says, I don't, I don't know where this is uh, in Derech Eretz, but Tosa claims that in Derech Eretz, Bimsechas Derech Eretz, Mefarish, Deoso Adam, who was this guy, this empty, ugly guy? Hainu Elio. Elijah the prophet. This was Elijah the prophet. He was not empty at all. But he took on the image, the, 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 the persona of somebody that was empty in order to help Rabbi Lazar Shimon to bring him down to earth to, to not um, be rigidly critical without trying to understand the person. If he can't find any redeeming qualities whatsoever, he can't talk, he can't give a, a reprimand. There's no dialogue there. So if, if that's all he sees, he, he, shouldn't, he should reflect himself, what is he missing? He needs to see this is creation of God. And if he can't deter, detect that, then the defect is by him. He can't talk. So Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon was, was uh, sent, as it were, Elio Anavi, Elijah the prophet, was, uh, this, this was not a coincidence, this was specifically to help him uh, 
relate to the Torah that he learned in an appropriate manner. So, so that's what he says. His, his intent was not to entrap him, but to help teach him that he was not on a good path. This is not the general approach. In theory, that's what he's saying. In theory, sometimes after evaluating the circumstance, talking tough is appropriate. I'm not saying it could never be. But this is not plan A. This is not just uh, what the, the, the knee-jerk reaction. If this is really the way to break through to him, okay. But, but typically this would not be. The, the Gemara says, uh, just as there is a command to say something that will be heard and accepted, there's a command not to say something that will not be heard and accepted. A person needs, in order to assess that, in order to give Torah that will be acceptable and effective and help people, enlighten them, you have to know where they're at, where they're coming from, what to say and what not to say. Just presenting the blunt, brutal facts is not, is, is not helpful. It's not, it's not going to achieve, it's not Torah miskayemes, it will not be brought to life. If, if it's done in a manner that's inaccessible, not being essentially addressed to the person. It's not, that's not helpful. So, so Elio Anavi appeared to him uh, in, in this fashion, to, according to Marsha, as a, as a black man, according to uh, others, Lachera, as, as somebody that, Ben Yoda, according to, as somebody who didn't have such derech heretz, perhaps as Ali said, somebody that was uh, was lacking in some qualities. But uh, that's when he he came back, and after this whole story, Rabbi Elazar Rabbi Shimon took it to heart and said, "It's important to be soft like a reed. A person should bend with the wind." He's interacting with somebody, and they're pushing this direction. Feel, go with them. To the extent that you can relate to them, relate to them. And the, the importance, of course, uh, of, of being moored in the Torah, that's the, the hemshech of the b'risa, and it needs to be uh, by the water. Actually, the the Gemara in Sanhedrin. Gemara in Sanhedrin speaks this out. And it contrasts the curse of a, of a friend with the blessing of an enemy. So yeah, here's the Gemara, Kofheim at Beis, towards the bottom, and it continues to Kofav Medalef at the top. Amr Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmini, Amr Rabbi Yonason. Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Nachmini, in the name of Rabbi Yonason, says, Ma'adachsiv, what is the meaning of this verse? Ne'emonim pitze ohev, had true and an unwavering are the, the blows of a friend, 
If a friend hits you, it's true. Vinatoros nashikos sone. And capricious are the kisses of an enemy. Rashi said, Vinatoros nefachos. They turn over. So how does this... This is a verse, by the way, in Mishlei, Proverbs 27, 6. So what, what does that actually mean? Gemara explains, Tova klola shekil achia shiloni, Yisrael. Better is the curse that the prophet achia shiloni gave, cursed the Jewish nation. That's better than the blessing that Bilam Arasha, Balaam the wicked, uh, blessed the Jewish people. Achia shiloni kilo Yisrael when Achia Shiloni cursed the Jewish people, he cursed them with a metaphor of a reed that be that will be whipped and 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 tossed. Shenema, as it says, And God will will strike the the Jews as the reed is tossed in the water. Just as the reed grows by the water, and its, its shoots regenerate, and it has many roots, and even all the winds in the world uh, blow at it, it doesn't become uprooted, it just gets tossed, but it, when the wind stops, it comes back to place. It moves with the wind. And as soon as the wind dies down, the reed stands back up in its place. So that was the veiled blessing that Achiashiloni gave in the curse to the Jewish people. In contrast, Bilam was not a friend of the Jews. He gave a blessing against his will, but he tried to lace that blessing with curse. Birchan be'erz, he blessed them to be like the like a cedar. The cedar does not grow by the water. Ush. Doesn't grow very tall. Yeah, it's it's very tall. Doesn't have the the close access to the water. Ushrashim it has few roots. and if it breaks. It doesn't regenerate. It stands rigidly against all the, the winds of the world, except once the southern wind comes, it becomes immediately uprooted, and it's turned on its face. It's a strong wind. Once a strong wind comes, Rashi says, it's a hard wind, knocks it over, and it's dead. So, moving back to the blessing of Achishiloni, that the curse was really, had a hidden blessing, similar to Argamara says that the, the reed is a source of the, a pen, a kulmus, to write the, the holy scriptures.
So yeah, that's that is the uh, slight difference. Right before it said Tefillin Mezuzos, here it just writes Nevi Muksuvim, but the, the idea is similar. That the tool, in order to be the tool of disseminating light, there needs to be the the sensitivity to the pressures. The 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 pen being made from a reed is going to have give. It's not it's not unyielding. It needs to be able to be ma'uruv and and feel what people are feeling, relate to them to know how to help them where they are. That's that's really critical. And it, if it's unyielding, unbending like this cedar, so it can snap. And the connection can be lost, and and then it will not be miskaimis. The Torah will not be miskaimis. The Torah would not be fulfilled through that. Yeah. Welcome to The Shallow Dive on Koheles, the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us as we explore the treasures gathered by King Solomon. I hope you enjoy it. Koheles, Gimel, Pasuk Tezvav. We saw this already, but just to get to the Medrash, we didn't speak about the Medrash about it. That which was already is. That which was already is. I think that what he means, and there are many different interpretations, but I think one idea is that which was is reflected and molding what is. The past is not unrelated to the present, but the present is molded by the past. The realities of the present are an outgrowth of this, the circumstance of the past. Any choices we have today are, to a degree, choices that we have based on the results of choices we made yesterday and the day before that. Mashahaya kvar hu. That which was, already is. Vasherlios kvarhaya, and that which will be in the future, already was. Meaning, from the future perspective, what will be in the future, is also molded by what was, from the perspective of the future, which I would say is the present. Meaning, at any given point of time, the the circumstances of the present are an outgrowth of the past. So in the future, that means now. At the future time, it's, it's an outgrowth of what was, which is the present, accumulation of the present and past. Those all are impacting the future. And the past is impacting the present. 
And God will seek out the pursued. And that seems hard to understand. That what's almost, the connection? Yeah, what's the connection? With, how does one relate to the other? God will seek the pursued. What is that related? Right. How does that, how does that connect to the, the fact that our choices or, or the historical circumstance impacts what comes next, whether it be the past impacting the present or the present impacting the future? What does that have to do with God seeking out the pursuit? So let's take a look at the Chinuch. Sefer Chinuch. Chinuch says, Mitzvah Tafresh, of the 613, Mitzvah 600, Mitzvah Lahatzil Hanirdo. There's a command to save the pursued. Okay? There's an obligation to save the pursued. What if he corrects the pursuit? When you say correctly pursued, then he doesn't have a status of pursuit. It means unjust. Good question. And this is derived from the verse. Katsosa's Kapo. Losachus And you shall chop off her hand. Do not have. Have your, do not allow your eye to pity. It's talking about where a woman sees two men fighting, her husband and another man, and she tries to intervene and endangers the one in a manner that is uh, life-threatening. So when it says to, to cut off her hand, we derive from there, says the Chinuch, so you need to engage in the minimum force necessary to prevent the pursuit. So in this case, you don't say kill her, she's, she's threatening him, but cut off her hand. If, that, if her hand is being sent to endanger, if that, if that would be the minimum necessary, that is what is justified, not more. Overkill, uh, even against a pursuer, is murder. If, if the pursuer can be stopped by, by yelling at him, saying, you know, stop where you are, that would be enough. You're not allowed to, to kill him. You can stop him by shooting him in the feet. You're not allowed to, to shoot him in the head. It's not that there's no permission to engage in any more force necessary than to stop the pursuit. And this applies to all people. It says that the Torah gives a case of a woman with her husband because she would naturally be inclined to get involved in this fight and help her husband. But really it applies to every person. What did the whole of them? This is from the roots of the mitzvah. Where is this coming from, this value? Because God, blessed be He, He created the world. He wanted that it should be settled. 
How is the world settled? How does civilization thrive when the oppressed, the weak, are defended against those with greater brute strength? That promotes the thriving of civilization. If it's just the rule of the brute, of the power, oppressing the weak, that is terribly destructive. That does not promote Yeshua HaOlam. The Ode, and further, Ki hanirdo le'olam eno velibo el Hashem lo shiom The one who's being pursued, the one who's weak, always has his eyes and heart towards God to be saved. From his pursuer. And as is written in Kohelas, this verse, Gimel Tezvav, 315, and God seeks the pursuit. Why does God seek the pursuit? Says the Chinuch, because the pursuit are relying on God's assistance. They have no one else to rely on. They're weak. They, they're crying out to God, save us. So God seeks them out. As if to say, Though we can pursue, cry out to God, Therefore God gave us a command to help the weak and oppressed. That's, that we are, as it were, fulfilling His will to answer the prayers of the oppressed. That's the Chinoch. And, and the Chinuch, he doesn't explain exactly the, the connection, but in the Medrash, it gives various examples, historical examples. It says that Yaakov, uh, before Yaakov, it says, If you find, let's start over here. Rabbi Huna, Bishem Rabbi Yossi, Omar. The Olam, Halim, Yibakesh, Eshanir. God always seeks to pursue. You find the righteous pursuing the righteous. God seeks the, the, the one who's being pursued. If you have the wicked pursuing the righteous, God seeks the pursuit. The wicked pursuing the wicked, God seeks the pursuit. In all these circumstances, God will seek the defense of the pursuit. And the, the one case that is absent from these cases is the righteous pursuing the wicked. And that, as you mentioned, if it is a justified pursuit, then that's not the case we're talking about. If it's not justified, then, then he's not a tzaddik. Right, so the, the tzaddik, yeah. rodeh, a rasha, we don't find that Hashem is mevakesh es That we don't find. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Suman, B'Shem, Rabbi Yosei, Rabbi Norai. And it says, God seeks the blood of the pursuers uh, on account of, of what they've done. Tebel HaShikein. You should know this is so. Hevel, Abel, was pursued from his brother Cain. 
and God turned to the offering of Abel, heaven. And even though it's historically reversed, God turned to the offering before he was pursued by his brother and killed by his brother. And fascinatingly, the, the Gemara says still that he was being victimized. Perhaps that victimization started beforehand, I don't know. But God was on Hevel's side as it was Abel's side. God turned towards Hevel and his offering. That that was, uh, in, an, in an ultimate sense, a success. Hevel, although his life was cut short, was tragic, but his offering was pleasing before God, so he, he had uh, a successful life to a degree. More so, certainly, than the oppressor, uh, Cain, who had a, a much more tragic life in the sense of the life he lived not being uh, close to God. Noah was pursued by his generations. He was telling them about this impending flood, and they were taunting and jeering, and God chose Noah. God did say Noah. Avraham was pursued by Nimrod, and God chose Avraham, saved him from the fiery furnace. He's seeking out Avram. Yitzchak was also pursued by the Philistines, and God chose Yitzchak. Yaakov was pursued by Esau, and God chose Yaakov. Yosef was pursued by his brothers. Sadik, Rodif, Sadik. Both sides were righteous. God chose the side of Joseph. Okay, interesting. We find that, that he was the pursued and even though they're both righteous, and he was he was the one given elevated. Moshe Moshe was pursued by Paro, he's a made a fugitive, and God chose Moshe. King David was pursued by King Saul, and God chose King David. King Saul was pursued from the Philistines, not unlike Yitzchak, Isaac, and God chose King Saul to bring about a deliverance. And the Jewish nation is pursued by the nations. You do have plenty of anti-Semitism, and God chooses the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation is still here. The Romans are gone. The Hittites are gone. Jews are still here. The treasured nation. God has chosen you. Rabbi Lozav, Rabbi Yeshua ben Zimra, Oman, Af, the Kabbalah's came. You should know this also applies to offerings. Amar Akash Baruchu, Shor, Nirdaf, Meri. The ox is pursued by the lion. The lamb is pursued by the wolf. Do not bring as an offering before me from the pursuers. God says, don't bring me the predators 
as an offering. Only bring before me those who are pursued. Which animals are eligible to be brought as offering? Only the animals that are pursued. Is that also true for goats? Yes. Gemara says so. Good question. What was that? Yes, that's true. That is true. The Gemara in Bavakama says, person should always choose to be from the pursued, and not from the pursuers. There's no more pursued bird than the turtle dove and the dove. And those are the only two species that are eligible to be offerings on the altar. So we do find that that applies to birds as well. It does imply that there are other birds that are pursued, but they're the most pursued. And the the idea is actually codified by the Rambam. The, the idea of ch- preferring to be the pursued over the pursuer the Raman says as follows in Hilchus Deus, chapter 5, paragraph 13. The engagements, the back and forth interactions of Torah scholars are in truth and faithfulness. When they say no, it's no. When it's yes, yes. Straightforward. And they are meticulous with themselves when calculating whether what they, you know, how much they need to pay, for example. And they give, meaning if there's a, a question, so they will take less. And they'll give more to the other party. When he's, when he's taking from them, he's, he'll take less. And he will not be meticulous on their account. So he's he's having a, an extremely strict standard on himself and not on those that he's interacting with. And he pays right away. COD, as soon as the transaction takes place, he makes sure to pay. And he does not become a guarantor, various forms of guarantorship, the loyal of other uh, forms of uh, of collection. He doesn't uh, join a uh, a joint lawsuit, as it were. Um, and he holds himself liable in matters of business. Even to the standard that the Torah does not demand of him, in order that he keep to his word, and not deviate from what he said. And if by the letter of the law others owe him, he gives them time, he gives them uh, 
uh, he tries to, to make arrangements for them, forgiving them. Umal v'vachonin, he'll give, uh, he'll lend, extend kindness, uh, a grace period. And he will not enter into a business to the detriment of his friend. And he does not bring pain to a, a, another person in the world, in his life. He, he's careful with how his interactions go, not to harm anybody else. What's the general rule? The Rambam says all of these things are reflections of this value to be the pursued and not the pursuer. That in, in all these cases he's he's taking a position uh, of of the, the opposite of aggressiveness. He's not pushing the the maximum that he can extract and giving the the minimum that he needs to get away with. Just the opposite. He's trying to be min hanirdofim velomina rofim, min hanayalofim velomina olvim. To be from those that are are uh, are attacked, but not not those that issue an attack. The olam shuosek kolamasimayel, a person who engages in all the all of these deeds, shiotzebayin and similar things. Allah kazvolmer concerning that person, it is stated vayomer li avdi ato yisrael asher b'chayespay. You are my servant. Israel, to which I am proud. So that's Hashem being mevakesh as God seeks out the pursued, the one who engages in these, in, in this, as it were, a double standard towards uh, generosity towards the other and, and uh, lack of aggressiveness towards the other, uh, whereas being careful with themselves to make sure that they're going above and beyond the requirements. That's that's what the Raman brings. So if you take a look at the Halumas Chachma on this Pasik. It says Belohim Yvakish Esanirok. You don't make an error, don't find it difficult. Welcome. Don't find it difficult that God has given people choice and created them with drives, the blind drives, called the Yitzhahara, often translated as evil inclination which turns a person away to a path of evil. On this, the verse concludes with an explanation. Meaning, God has a plan. There's a procession, a historic procession. And the, the fact that we are given choice and we can make mistakes the fact that God seeks out the pursued is is also baked into the success of God's plan. Mitavasi Yitzhahara Minasko. 
that the evil inclination, as it were, is pursuing humanity, but humanity will overcome. This is in contrast to the angels. The, the angels have no choice. The angel acts like an angel, but it couldn't do anything else. The aim, the aim of their doctrine, they're not being pursued. Just they don't have an evil inclination saying, let's go do something evil. An angel just has to be an angel, and it's not rewarded. Therefore, the righteous are considered greater than angels. And for this reason, God has given choice to man. If he avails himself of the opportunities he has in a positive way, he will elevate himself above the rank of an angel. To cleave to the Creator, blessed be He. Ki hanirda, one who is pursued, but only binisyono, but stands up against the test, he maintains his righteousness in the, in, in, in the face of the challenges that, that he is being pursued with. He has an inclination to do evil, and he, he stands up to that. So God seeks out the pursuit. The pursuit being every human being. Every human being that has an evil inclination, it's pretty endemic, the human condition, we are all the pursuit. But God seeks out the pursuit. There's basically a Gemara in Sukkah, Daf Nun Beis, 52. There's a sukkah. The inclination of man, the drive of man, strengthens against him every day. Shanema, as it's stated, Verse is in Bereshis. All the machinations of his heart are singularly evil all day. The evil inclination strengthens upon a person with each day. It seeks to kill him. It seeks to kill him. The wicked stares towards the righteous and seeks his demise, seeks to kill him. And if not for the Holy One, blessed be he, that assists him, a person would not be able to succeed against the pursuer of the evil inclination. This is a verse in Tehillim. So, as we saw in the Chinuch, that there's a 
biblical positive command to save the pursued on, on, on another level, not just saving an external person we see as being pursued, but a person needs to save themselves. A person needs to see themselves as in a struggle. Every day, the evil inclination comes up with a recommendation, a drive, push. And God says, choose life. Choose good, choose life. Don't choose evil and death. The evil inclination tells you to choose death. It wants to kill him. It's pursuing him. Mevakish lamiso, it's a pursuer. And the evil inclination is is uh, is a complex creature, in, in that it, we can't live without it. And the Gemara says that the the sages in the Second Temple era sought to abolish the evil inclination. And the world couldn't exist in that state. The world needs drives to be built. It needs to be channeled, to be harnessed. But you can't kill the drives that a person has and expect success. It will not work. So that the, the relationship to the pursuer, you cannot kill the pursuer. You need to use the minimum force necessary to stop the pursuit. It needs to be stopped from killing him. It needs to be held in check. But a person cannot destroy the drives they have. That's not, that's not a measure of success. So that's, that's uh, another interpretation to Hamusachachma. I think according to that, we can, we can see a, a beautiful continuity of the verse that the choices that we have uh, in the present are predicated, the current circumstance we're in is a culmination of the past. The past leads to the present, and the present leads to the future. So that's why it's it's viewed on a, on a micro level every day. Every day, the person is, is making choices, and that, those determine what will be his choices for tomorrow. And it wants to kill him. It wants to, to eliminate his fulfillment of life. That's the, the, with the Yitzhahar, the, the blind drive, which would crash if not guided by Seichel, by by enlightenment of intellect. So the the continuity of the verse I would suggest is that we we need to strive with with each choice, recognizing that it's a cumulative process. Mashahaya kvarhu. That which was it, it already is Meaning, it's, we're, we're not in a vacuum. Those choices of yesterday are, are being uh, molding our current choices. And, and our job, our job to, to be, uh, to beseech God, to, to, 
to aid us, if not for God assisting him, he would not be successful. He is the pursued. He is coming from a position of weakness, as it were. But the, the cumulative choices need to be choices towards life, towards em- and empowering opportunities to live a full life. And the, the, for example, just give an example. If, if somebody uh, engages in certain activities that stunt their abilities, that will limit their choices in the future to, to not really be able to develop something they could have developed. Uh, you know, animal studies of learned helplessness. We, we see this all the time. Uh, that that what happened in the past is directly impacting the choices that are perceived as available in the present, and that continues in the future. The future will be impacted by its past, which is the current present. So if if you uh, if you tie an, an elephant, right? That's what they say. Tie an elephant when it's uh, a baby to a, to a sapling. It won't uh, run away when it's when it's a, a tall tree. Uh, when it's a, when it's a full-grown elephant, it learned as a as a baby elephant that it can't move away. But the truth is that it never tries to use its force to move away because it doesn't think it has a choice. It's lost that choice based on its past. So that that's a, a type of, if you will, learned helplessness. The studies of, of let's say, rats that were um, put in a circumstance of, uh, of being in a drowning circumstance. And, and then um, there are two, two subsets. The rats that were... Uh, Saved, or the rats that were allowed to to swim and and save themselves, meaning that they were they were the the, the two different groups of rats that were in, in a circumstance. Well, they, some were able to swim to a place of safety, and some were not given that opportunity, and just just they were taken out, but not that their swimming actually helped them, and then that all the rats were put in another circumstance where they were able to save themselves if they would swim a lot to, you know, to the other side. The rats that were not able to save themselves didn't bother. They just drowned. They, they had determined, based on their past experience, that it didn't help to swim. So they didn't bother. This is something called learned helplessness. I would suggest that that's, that's something that uh, is, is part of the dynamic in this pasuk, in this verse, that we, we, we may be coming from a position of weak or pursued. We do need to, to besiege God for assistance. And each choice will impact the subsequent choice. The past will impact the present, the present will impact the future, but this this is not a dark picture in terms of God's purpose being fulfilled because God is assisting the, the, the one position and weakness. The one who is calling out to God will be assisted. That is how he set it up. It is geared towards success.
And that really puts this verse in a broader context of the previous verse, that whatever God did will be for eternity. You cannot add or subtract from it. And God created everything that we may fear Him. Meaning this should elicit a sense of awe at the, the power of God and the, the fulfillment of His creation. This is a continuity of that. That, that this uh, recognition God seeking out the pursuit as baked into the success of creation is, is leading towards that it, it will lead us towards a recognition of God's greatness, to be in awe from before him. Okay. Let's see, another verse. I also saw under the sun In the place of justice, there is the wickedness. In the place of righteousness, there is the the wickedness. So, Rashi on this verse says, that King Solomon saw this in a spirit, a prophetic spirit, that in the place of the Lishvas Agazis, Yerushalayim, the place of justice where the Sanhedrin sat, which was a part of the temple compound partially in Chol, partially in Kodesh, part, partially in the sanctified part of the temple, symbolizing God's uh, participation, as it were, in the establishment of justice. In that very place, says King Solomon prophetically, they will judge with bribery. They'll commit a travesty against justice. That's what he says in the future. Vira isi paranosa. And I also saw their punishment. That's that's the the result of this of, of this terrible uh, distortion. A place of justice being being used for a tool of wickedness. The, the court that is, is meant to reflect and, and bring about the will of God being a, a place of bribery. And then there's the fallout. He says, he says also, uh, similarly, the second part of the verse, Makomat Sedek, Shama Harasha, the place, Shai Tabo, Shai Mokom, Chitokalachos, the place where they not actually engage in judgment, but where they're learning about the, the laws, establishing the, the laws, not just, uh, right, that really comes first, if you will, sequentially, before applying the laws. Shoma Harasha. In that very place will be established the wicked, Nebuchadnezzar and his hordes, and they will judge the Jewish people with terrible suffering and judgment of death. 
So this is the, the result. But by allowing judges, positions of power, to engage in corruption, the, the fallout of that is that there will be a judgment of clearly wicked judges, like Nebuchadnezzar, engaging in cruelty in terms of how he's judging people. And that is, that is a result, says Rashi, of, of what they allowed to fester. In a place of, of true justice, what should have been, they allowed corruption. So this is what they got. They got Nebuchadnezzar. The destruction. Judgment through the wicked. And Targum says it a little bit different than Rashi. He doesn't bring, he doesn't invoke the, the historical aspect, but he says, not through a spirit of prophecy, but through wisdom. That, that just from recognizing the consequences. King Solomon says he's seen under the sun of this world. What, what is the nature of this world? Asa Bezino, the place of judgment, a court, the Daine, Shikra, that they judge falsely. Taman There they they pronounce guilty, one who is innocent. And to let let go free one who is guilty. In that place that is found there, a person who is innocent. There, in that place, you shall find a, a, a man of guilt. That he will administer judgment there. He will rule over to... Uh, to to chastise on account of the the generation that is guilty of evil. So he, he really is saying the same sequence as Rashi without the identity, uh, the precise identity, but he's saying that that is the, the nature of corruption. If, if it is allowed to fester, then it will bring in its wake uh, oppression of those that are overtly corrupt, and those that will engage in, in, a, in a broad uh, a broad justice, divine justice, as it were, showing this is what you get if you if you allow your judges to be corrupt. I think that that the the continuity of the previous verse God seeks the pursued has another leads to another interpretation to what we just suggested it leads to another interpretation of this verse that describes the struggle within man I mean, man is being pursued by the, the blind drives evil inclination and King Solomon says, I have seen the way of the world that in the place of justice, that is the place of wickedness. Where is that place? Where is that place? That place is in the heart of man. And every person is conflicted. 
every person has a, a, a value of mishpat and tzedek, and also an inclination that would be with resha, with, with wickedness. Uh, Mechel Shirkin, he said, a marshal, that if you, you walk into a, a tavern and you see sitting at the table, a very animated discussion. You rub your eyes, look more carefully. What, what, who's over there? You see two men discussing something of great import, but you can't figure out what's going on. On the one side of the table is the Chafetz Chaim, and he's busy discussing whatever it is, this urgent matter, with Adolf Hitler, Mashiach. Can't imagine what is going on. What are these two men doing here? How could they be sitting at the same table having this discussion? And he says, Don't think it's so weird. Don't think this is so surreal. This is what goes in the hearts of every man. Every person has this going on internally. But God seeks out the pursuit. We, we need yeah. to, to call out to Akash Baruch Hu, but not, not be fooled. We need to recognize that with the potential for justice is the potential for miscarriage of justice. And if this is the place where justice should be carried out, this is the place, the highest risk of, of evil being committed. So there's, there's a need for vigilance. The Yitzhara comes every single day. Every day. Yeah. Any, uh, any questions? Anybody have any questions on this?